Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Center for Advanced Governmental Studies at Johns Hopkins University. We are a center for research and teaching focusing on government, and we are home to master's degree and certificate programs covering domestic and international politics and policymaking. My name is Colin Paschal, and I'm a faculty member at the center. In our podcast, we aim to provide the latest news and updates from the center, highlight the work of our faculty and students, and feature the insights of experts associated with Johns Hopkins and our friends in Washington, D.C. and across the country. This podcast is a recording of a recent webinar from the Center, hosted by Jerry Burgess, the Director of the MS in Environmental Sciences and Policy Program, and featuring Paul Weinstein, the Director of the MA in Public Management Program. The webinar is focused on strategies for searching for and securing positions in the new presidential administration. Greetings and welcome everyone. It's nice to have so many folks turn out for what is no doubt going to be an important discussion. So obviously we're all here to talk about uh, seeking employment in the in the new administration. Um, just in way of background, I, I think many of you probably know that each president over the past several administrations has the opportunity to fill anywhere from in somewhere around 4,000 positions in the federal government. And some of these are you know, like cabinet roles that require Senate confirmation with a, a, a few thousand that uh, do not. And these range from like agency managers, White House advisors, legislative public affairs staff, uh, special assistants, and, and some part-time members on boards and commissions as well. Um, so for example, there's four to 450 senior level positions within the executive office and um, there might be enough White House aides for 1,500 positions, and all of these are policy making that are that are supervised by other political appointees. Um, and salaries range really wide ranging from I don't know approximately 20,000 to a little bit under under 200,000, depending on on the position. But most of this information and how to maybe break into this uh, in, into this level of government is going to be dealt with by our my esteemed colleague and uh, delightful friend, Mr. Paul Weinstein Jr. And just by way of introduction, Paul is a, uh, a published author with a textbook on policymaking and his writings appear in a whole wide variety of news media. He's a, uh, a senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute, director of the uh, public management uh, program. And he's a veteran, most importantly for us, of two presidential administrations um, where he served as special assistant to the president and uh, chief of staff to the White House Domestic Policy Council. And he's been an advisor with uh, multiple uh, presidential transition teams. And he's also involved with the current group as well. Uh, and with that, I will introduce um, Mr. Paul Weinstein. Mr. Weinstein, it's all yours. Thank you. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Paul Weinstein. I'm the uh, director of the uh, MA in uh, Public Management Program here at Johns Hopkins. And thanks for for coming today, the uh, turnout is, uh, uh, it's uh, great to see so many people here live. And I'm, I guess I'm not really surprised given the, 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 uh, the timeliness of the topic. As Jerry mentioned, I've, I've worked in a couple of uh, administrations and White Houses uh, over my years, both in the Clinton and Obama administrations. Uh, and I have worked on uh, transitions and presidential campaigns and and uh, many other things um, that uh, are sort of affiliated with working in administrations. 
over time. And uh, one thing I've learned is that there's really no single way of, of getting a job in, uh, in a new administration. There's many different ways of getting in. And I'm gonna talk a little bit today about some of those different ways of trying to get in and some of the things and the do's and don'ts. And I'm gonna draw a little bit about, uh, hopefully from my own experience, but just, uh, just so you know, I, my, my first entry into politics uh, and government was, I came out of grad school uh, in 1988 at the uh, age of 23 and uh, wasn't sure what to do. Thought I would go work on Wall Street uh, up in New York. Uh, wasn't very happy with those jobs. And the, I decided there was a presidential campaign going on and I, I came down to DC and I went and volunteered on, on then Senator Al Gore's uh, presidential campaign and and volunteered uh, with, without pay, and you know when you're 23, that's that's possibly an option. I had student debt, but I was uh, I was able to do some side things and so forth. Uh, and when you're young like that, and you don't have family and uh, and a lot of commitments, you can uh, you can do that. But that's not really an, an option. Well, I should say so. I got a job eventually on the campaign. Uh, then his Senate office, and then a lot of those things led to the Clinton administration and, and later on the Obama administration. But my point is that uh, many of our students and many of the students in other programs in AAP, you know, you know, just going <laughs> and dropping your whole life to go try to volunteer isn't really an option. Uh, and, and so when people often ask me, well, how do you get first involved? I tell them that story. And of course, it's not really applicable to them because most of our students are, you know, currently have jobs uh, or they've been out of college for a while and they've got lots of student debt, they may have families, they may have uh, um, uh, elderly parents that are having to help take care of, who knows? So uh, what's, what's available to a young person isn't really, you know, someone just out of school isn't really always available um, uh, to others. So let's talk about some of the other ways that people get jobs in uh, new administrations. And so um, I'm going to uh, go through our first, uh, the key points that I'm going to sort of talk about here today. Um, sign up, uh, we're talking about how to sign up and types of political appointments, uh, then more than one way to enter an administration. We'll talk about some of the different approaches, uh, focus on the long game, uh, clean up your social media, and then we'll talk about some uh, important resources. And then we'll ask, we'll ask, save some time at the end for questions for Jerry and I to, to discuss. Uh, so first things first, uh, if you're interested in, in getting a job, you, you know, do it uh, right away. Go to uh, the Biden-Harris uh, transition uh, site and submit your resume. You've got to be in their system no matter what. And the earlier in their system, the better. This is not to say that you're going to get a job just because you submitted your resume. And the reality is that, uh, you know, they they will go through some of these things, but most of these resumes are lost. But so why should you submit it? Well, the reason you submit it is that uh, at some point, if you are talking to people, they're going to ask you if you've filled out these forms and so forth. And you want to be able to say, yes, I have. It speeds up the process for them. Uh, it speeds up the process for you. So, you know, if you haven't done it yet, it's not that hard. 
uh, just go and do it uh, and submit your CV resume. Uh, make sure you keep those resumes to no longer than three pages. And if you're a if you're a fairly young person, if you're just out of uh, if you're just you know if you just finished up college recently and you're now in grad school, uh, don't make it more than two pages. I I have uh, been in a number of jobs where I've hired people, and there's nothing more frustrating than getting from somebody who has had maybe you know one job and uh, and one degree or or hasn't ever worked but just has a graduate degree and. Uh, um, and the college degree to get one of these five-page, six-page uh, CVs or resumes—it's just not, not necessary. So, uh, so keep them as you know, keep them short. You don't need to have one page, but but keep them on the short side so people can actually get through them. And do fill out that those forms. Now they're going to ask questions that no administration has ever asked for before. Um, if you go to this website. Uh, they're going to ask, and you don't have to answer these questions if you're not comfortable. But you know, they'll ask about you know how do you want to be referred to? You know, she, he, uh, they, them. Uh, they're going to ask about your obviously about your ethnicity and race and uh, all kinds of, of questions. You have options not to do that um, if you don't want to, but just be prepared that they will ask these questions because the administration is trying to uh, create a very diverse. Uh, administration and so um, to do that they've you know they're seeking out these these questions uh, do what you're comfortable with just obviously be honest that's a no-brainer uh, you know just, you know tell the truth and so uh, if if you're comfortable saying it or if not just say not comfortable or you know uh, prefer not to answer uh, it's it's fine, and you have absolutely every right to do that, and you should exercise your rights um, as you feel comfortable doing so. Um, so Jerry mentioned a little bit about um, uh, Jerry uh, uh, mentioned a little bit about the um, uh, uh, different types of positions. So there's about four thousand total political positions that are available. And there's about 8,000 sort of what they call policy-making jobs in the uh, federal government. Uh, some of those do not include certain um, types of non-governmental or uh, I should say quasi-governmental entities. But in the federal government itself, there's about 8,000 policy jobs, about 4,000 political positions. 1,200 are Senate-confirmed positions. That's everything from for example, the secretary of a department, a cabinet secretary, uh, down to uh, you know deputy secretary, undersecretary, uh, assistant secretary. Then there's also deputy assistant secretaries, which are pro forma Senate confirmed positions, so they don't actually have to go through before the Senate um, as well. Um, and then there's agencies within agencies. So, for example, let's look at Treasury. Uh, you have the Treasury Department, then you have, for example, the IRS and the IRS Commissioner, which is a Senate-confirmed job, or the the um, uh, the head of uh, uh, of the Office of uh, of the Controller of the Currency, who is the regulator, which is the agency that regulates the national banks. So you've got many different levels of Senate-confirmed slots. These are obviously very very difficult positions to get. You have to have really extensive experience. Uh, you know, um, 
probably we're not talking for, you know, most of the folks who are on this phone call are probably not um, eligible for those positions, but, uh, but if you get one, great. <laughs> so, uh, Non-career senior executive service, there's about 750 of these positions. And, um, oops, sorry. And uh, uh, these folks are, are fairly senior folks. They are um, often uh, the link between the, the key um, political appointments and sort of uh, a lot of the uh, career policy making uh, 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 officials in the government. Um, about the SES, in case people aren't very familiar with that, the Senior Executive Service, that's the highest level uh, appointment that someone in the career service can achieve. It pays at the highest grade level, uh, close to, I think, 200,000 now. Uh, and 10% of SES positions may be political appointees, and that's the 750 slots I just mentioned. Uh, a lot of those folks, work in the executive office of the president in a variety of positions as well. Uh, then there's presidential appointments not requiring Senate confirmation. And by the way, non-career SES jobs also don't require Senate confirmation. Uh, there's approximately 450 of these positions, a lot within the executive office of the president, including senior White House advisors. Uh, so for example, when you see uh, Ron Klain, who's the new chief of staff, uh, of to the president, he's obviously a very senior level person. Uh, he would fit in under this category. Uh, and um, so although his ranking in terms of uh, in relationship to cabinet secretaries is equivalent, uh, he's not obviously Senate confirmed and he slots here. The head of OMB, who's also in the executive office of the president, that position is Senate confirmed. So there are positions in the executive office of the president that are Senate confirmed, and then there are some who are not. In the White House, uh, Ron Klain, let's go back to him again, for example, he's chief of staff. His ranking is assistant to the president, uh, which is the highest rank you can get in uh, the White House uh, executive office of the president and, and not be a Senate confirmed position. Assistants to the presidents tend to equate to either cabinet secretary level or deputy level. Uh, depending on their, their job and position in the White House. The next level down is deputy assistant to the president, and then the third level down is special assistant to the president. So those positions all are um, uh, what we call um, a presidential ranking, and you receive an actual, um, uh, uh, you'll actually receive an actual presidential um, uh, declaration of that position. That doesn't mean that those are the only positions in the EOP that fit under here. There, there are lots of other positions. You could just be a director at the National Security Council, not be, um, not be one of those three ranks that I just mentioned above, uh, or you could be a staff assistant, right? Um, again, these would all fit under this category, that what we call the PA category. And then um, there's uh, the largest one, and probably the the area that most folks. Um, get positions in from the outside who are not looking for career positions, which is confidential or policy-making positions or Schedule Cs. You may have heard about this, the term Schedule C. There's about 1,500 of those positions. Uh, they usually work for either 
the, the report to the Senate confirmed or the uh, non-career SES or the presidential appointments not requiring Senate confirmation. These people are often special assistants or policy analysts or, uh, or associate policy analysts. Uh, they, the, the pay range is, I think Jerry mentioned this before, when he said 20,000 as the bottom. Yeah, it can go anywhere from there to up to about $142,000. Uh, these are the jobs that, as I said, that most people who are going to the Biden-Harris administration are looking for. Um, these are great jobs. These are jobs that get you in the door. Uh, and if you can get one, uh, and this is your entry level to, to moving ahead. So now let's go um, to the next line here. There is more than one way to enter an administration. And I, I want to, one reason I put this in here is because, you know, I think it's frustrating for a lot of people to go through this process. The um, getting jobs in the federal government is, is a frustrating process, as many of you know. Um, the uh, having to fill out all the paperwork, going through the computer system, and so forth. But what I wanted to emphasize was that there are other ways of actually getting positions in an administration uh, if you have some flexibility and if um, you're willing to, uh, to try to find some workarounds. And the most important of these that I'm going to suggest to people, particularly those of you who have jobs now, uh, you may be working for say a think tank already, or maybe you're working for uh, uh, an advocacy organization or you're an expert of some kind in a particular area, um, is this term special government employee. And this is a, as a person who is, is hired temporarily by the federal government and the executive branch to perform a, a short-term project. And it, it is without compensation. And let me get back to that in a second. Uh, and it cannot be for more than 130 days during any period of 365 consecutive days. So uh, you can't do what some what they used to do with this is you get hired for the last 130 days of a year and then the next 130 days for a year. You can't do that anymore. Um, basically, you can work for 130 days within a period of 365 days. But anyway, let me uh, get back to this. So uh, what a number of people have done in the past uh, is they... Um, they get a, uh, sometimes their organizations, particularly advocacy organizations or think tanks, uh, are willing to pay people temporarily for a period of time and send them into positions in the administration if they think that that position and that experience will be beneficial to the organization. Uh, the organization can actually continue to pay you while you're working for the federal government uh, so that um, while the federal government is not going to pay you, uh, you can be paid by your organization. You have to go through conflict, in, conflict of interest training, and you are considered an employee of the federal government for that 130-day period. So you're subject to all the laws and regulations that are related to this. Uh, one of the reasons I'm mentioning this is that... Uh, and particularly in the beginning, uh, when we have many positions that are not being filled, uh, people who offer themselves as an SGE to an agency or to the executive office of the president can sometimes get positions uh, that give them an, an entry point 
Uh, and during that time, they could meet people or they could prove themselves to be someone that the administration decides they would like to keep down the road. So this is really a, for a person who's eager to go in, this is really a nice way to try to get in, in your foot in the door. At the same time, uh, it's also an opportunity just to have a, a period where you get to serve uh, without maybe losing your current job that you want to keep. So you go in for 130 days, you serve the, in a position of interest to you, to you and, and of need to the government, and then you're able to go back to your existing job. Uh, when I was on, uh, uh, when, when the President Obama created the, what was called the Fiscal Commission back in, I think it was 2011, uh, which I served as senior advisor to, and, and it was this was actually the commission was part of the executive office of the president, and we were employees of the executive office of the president. But most of the employees were special government employees. They were people that were were paid compensated by other entities, primarily think tanks or educational institutions, uh, and they served in uh, the office uh, for a period of time. Now, the 130 days, as I understand, it can also be spread out. So like you could work a couple of days a week, so you can still do some work for your employer. Uh, you could work half days, uh, but basically a day is considered eight hours and how you divide it up it still is gonna to come to 130 days uh, one way or the other, but you can spread that out uh, in different ways if you wanna to try to extend your, your connection. And also if that's maybe more of interest to your employer, your existing employer. So I just wanted to, to mention that is a particularly useful way. These other two um, components here, White House Fellows and Presidential Management Fellows, most of you have probably heard of these programs. Uh, when I was chief of staff of the White House Domestic Policy Council, which today I, I, um, I think we all heard that Susan Rice, the former National Security Council uh, director, is going to be the head of the DPC, which is its counter counter uh, uh, point on the domestic side. Uh, but when I was chief of staff for that that uh, White House uh, office. Uh, I actually hired a presidential management fellow and that person, we ended up giving them uh, a job uh, full time. Uh, that individual was focused on education policy and later on, uh, I think he now works for the Ford Foundation back in Michigan. Uh, the, um, uh, so PMFs and there's about 200 of these positions um, each year and it's a competitive process. Once you finish your master's is when you would want to apply. They've already selected the applicants for, for 2021. So you're really talking about next year, uh, 2022. But uh, it is a way of, of trying to get in. You do rotations in different positions and you can, you can often get positions in some pretty, pretty interesting agencies, including, as I said, under my circumstance, when I was at Domestic Policy Council in the White House itself. Uh, White House Fellows Program is an even smaller, more elite program uh, as well. It's for people who have actually been working for some time, usually in their mid-30s or so, uh, or even 40s, and who have excelled and who are interested in serving for a year in um, the White House or for cabinet secretaries, and you actually work directly to them, for them. Finally, I wanted to mention a detailee. Uh, detailees are, are those who actually do have jobs in an executive, I'm sorry, in the federal government for an agency, 
but who uh, would like to go and uh, work, say, somewhere else uh, in an agency, um, uh, and uh, um, the the nice thing here is that many of the White House positions in the policy area are filled with detailees from other agencies, particular, particularly at the policy councils, and I specifically mean the National Security Council, the National Economic Council, and the Domestic Policy Council. The way this works is a detailee is sent for six months paid by an agency, and then the White House pays the other uh, half of their salary. Uh, so the White House finds these to be very useful in terms of budget and other reasons. So if you're already in an agency, you can you can look for a detailee in another um, another position, the White House, OMB, or elsewhere, and your agency might consider it, particularly if they're a, they're a White House agency um, office. Uh, it's quite appealing. Um, I should also say that some agencies also have what they call assignees and other, other which they rely on private sector. This is not contracting, but these are private sector individuals with expertise who um, do certain uh, requirements uh, like licensing and things for them. It's probably not too appealing to most of the folks here. Uh, and these are usually people out in other parts of the country I just wanted to mention it because sometimes people get the assignee, detailee, and, and special government employee uh, names a, a little um, uh, mixed up or confused, whatever. Um, I have an, another question here, which is uh, new administration is trying to create a diverse administration. True. How marketable are applicants with multiple degrees? Uh, absolutely. Um, having multiple degrees is is makes you more marketable in, in many many job situations. It's not a must, but it certainly can help. It really depends um, on what the uh, uh, what the agencies are looking for or the White House is looking for. The um, uh, certainly it's to your advantage. I don't know how much of an advantage. It, as I said, it really depends on the jobs that that you're applying for. Um, and then uh, a second question is for current go career government employees, what do you view as the pros and cons of applying directly versus a detail? You know, I don't think there's a, there is a pro and con either way. I think, you know, applying directly, but also investigating detail, op you know, opportunities, I, I think they're not mutually exclusive. And I would encourage you to try to look at, at both of those. And then someone's asking me, uh, they graduate, they're, they're not graduating until May, should they put your name in the system now or wait? Uh, I would uh, put your name in the system now. <laughs> uh, the earlier the better. Uh, and um, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Um, I'll answer some more of these questions in a second, but let's go on to our next, um, our next page here, sorry. Uh, so, um, getting a job in a new administration takes time. Uh, this is our focusing on the long game. It, it will take time. It, that last person just asked me, like, should they apply now, even though they haven't graduated yet? And the reason I said yes, please go ahead and apply now, is because you know, most of these jobs, it's going to take it's going to take at least a year, possibly, before all the political positions are filled. Uh, if, if then, <laughs> so. 
you know, this is a long game and you should be prepared uh, to understand that. Um, as I said before, there's some 4,000 jobs available. So there's a lot of jobs out there. I know that doesn't seem much when you consider the number of people that are applying, but it's going to take them a while to process. Right now, the transition office is just completely overwhelmed. They are inundated with, with resumes. They have former Biden Obama folks applying for jobs. They have uh, they have campaign folks who are applying for jobs. They have folks who worked on these various policy official policy working groups. I was on one of these official policy, well, I was on two of the official policy working groups, one on, on government uh, 21st century and the other was on education. Uh, and um, the, uh, uh, they, they've, you know, every one of those things are probably, a lot of those people are, are applying for jobs. Uh, there's just a, a vast array of folks that are looking and the transition is, is completely overwhelmed. So it's going to take them a lot of time. Plus just submitting your resume isn't, isn't really the way to play this game. You gotta try to submit your resume and then you've gotta sort of try to reach out carefully and not too aggressively, but, or I shouldn't say not repeatedly, but, but, but you wanna be a little bit aggressive to um, people who are going to be in a position to possibly help you. However, let me say this, which is that you, can't get a job until the senior staff are in place. So a lot of you are hoping to, you know, wow, I want to get a job right when it starts. You know, that's not going to probably happen. Uh, you know, when I, I worked on the Clinton campaign before Al Gore even was named vice president, I actually went to go work for Bill Clinton at the beginning, like literally in the first few days of his campaign. Uh, and then I worked on his transition um, from day one. And I had some fairly senior positions in those roles. And then when the when the announcement came that the White House was beginning, you know, and the, the administration was off, I didn't have a job. It actually took another three months before I think I think it was three months for me. It was the end of February or beginning of March before I officially got a, my a position in the, in the White House uh, at that time. So I mean, it it takes time, and even for someone who, like in my case back then, uh, was you know, one of the original people and was qualified and so forth. So uh, you got to remember that the trend, these transition offices are, 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 are just completely overwhelmed and that if the senior staff aren't in place, which was the case for me, it was hard to get a position, right? People don't want to hire junior people uh, before they hire the senior or mid-level folks, right? Because They've got to make sure that the people who we know those jobs eventually um, uh, actually um, uh, are actually uh, you know comfortable with the people that have been hired. Uh, they also this new administration they need exact budget and headcount data to work with, and that's something that only the Trump administration can give them right now. The Congress can give them some idea, but they need help from the Office of Administration in the various agencies. And the agencies have been told not to cooperate at this point. Uh, I mean, that has been let up a little bit, but that's put them behind the eight ball. So, you know, the, Obama, the Biden folks have a lot of former Obama staffers who maybe know most of the positions, but but you really need to have that that exact number from uh, the people who are currently uh, in charge and 
if you're not getting cooperation from them, it's hard to appoint people in different jobs because you don't know the budgets and you don't know the headcounts. Um, if you don't get a position now or this year, don't panic, okay? Most political appointees only last two years and there's going to be a, a, a wave of one or two more hiring waves within this administration. So um, just, you know, don't, don't lose hope that you're not gonna get a position that's, you know, and don't, and don't give up trying, you know, remember this is a, this is, you know, this may take two years before you can find the job that you, that you want and like and, and get offered a position for. Um, and I would say focus on the administration, not the transition, right? A lot of people are like, I gotta get on the transition. Transition is not a guarantee you're gonna get a job administration. For example, the Obama uh, transition banned people who worked on the agency teams from taking positions in the executive branch. So because of possible conflicts of interest. So, you know, focus on the administration positions, not the transition. Uh, now a word of advice about social media. Uh, clean up your social media. Uh, the fact of the matter is that I think the Obama administration was the first to do this, but part of the vetting process will be if you're, if you're going to be offered jobs, you're going to have to give up access to your social media accounts to the vetters and the, and the lawyers. Um, so go through those accounts now. Um, go through accounts that you're connected with, uh, family, friends, uh, delete photos, images that are inappropriate, may suggest something that's not appropriate. Um, if you have any doubt, delete it while they may still be able to get a, a picture of it uh, anyway or a, a screenshot of it. Um, you're better off deleting it because it's just one less opportunity that they might find it. Close any accounts you no longer use and delete all the content there. And I hate to say this, but if you are applying for a job right now, you should refrain from using social media. You don't want to you don't want to make a mistake while you're actually in the application process for a job. So that means giving it up cold turkey. I mean, seriously, don't tweet, don't Facebook post, don't Instagram, don't um, don't do whatever you're going to do um, if you're actually at this time, you know, about to maybe get a position. Uh, it's a very tricky situation and you you don't want to get caught saying something that you think is completely or being linked to somebody who's saying things that you don't, you know, you don't, uh, you know, that may cause you a problem. Uh, so again, um, just make sure you're, you're overly cautious and careful with that. And then finally, um, I want to suggest some important resources. Uh, the Plum Book, if you've never heard of it, it is the listing of all policy support positions in the US government. This is the link to that page and you can go there. Um, the Center for a Presidential Transition is a great website about, it's run by the uh, Partnership for Public Service um, on transitions and trying to find a job. Uh, it's useful to go through it, I, I suggest you uh, you do so. And then again, um, uh, if you want, uh, you should definitely submit your resume and there's a link for the Biden-Harris resume uh, entry page so um, that you can find here as well. Uh, so I think I uh, we had answered a few of these questions. Um, 
We have another one. Uh, could you comment on the difference between long-term career opportunities for political appointees? For example, should a political appointee expect to stay in government only while the administration has appointed them holds office? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, political appointments are only for the term um, of a particular administration. Plus you, unlike uh, uh, career positions, you are subject to being fired at will. Uh, it's uh, it's much more like a private sector position, right? So, um, so you should think of it as a short-term position. It's not a lifelong career opportunity uh, um, in any way at, at all. Uh, then we have a question, how do you stand out as a candidate? Well, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a, a really good question. Uh, um, and uh, it's a tricky one to answer because for every individual, it's a little bit different, but obviously you wanna have, um, you know, uh, having, you, you, uh, having a graduate degree is a, is a minimum requirement. Um, having a work experience is really helpful, particularly in the policy area, if that's where you're trying to go, that you're trying to go into. So if you wanna go into healthcare policy, um, having worked in healthcare policy, is going to help you or environmental policy having worked in environmental policy is going to help you uh if you're in jerry's program and you've got your master's or you're getting your master's and and you're also working in the field then that's going to be helpful um i don't know, jerry if you have any thoughts on that uh, no I, th I, I think you're absolutely right uh and, and then i was just going to transition to one of our environmental students uh, questions on there about the differences between USA Jobs and Build Back Better, the difference between political appointees and 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 career uh, appointments. I wonder if you can make a comment to uh, Ms. Carlos's uh, post. Well, you can. So USA Jobs is 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 where you would submit your resume for career positions, right? So if there's career slots and specific career positions that you're interested in, then. Uh, then you would you would um, submit your resume for for there. If you're interested in a a political position in the Obama administration, then you go to the Build Back Better dot government, which is the Obama Harris um, uh, portal uh, for jobs. So uh, the reality is, you could it, there's no reason not to submit to both. Uh, there isn't any any downside to it. So if there's positions in the career service that you are interested in, submit it. Plus, remember what I said about agency detailees. If you want to fulfill a job, a policy position that normally might be filled by a political appointee, they do often look for detailees at other agencies to fill some of those jobs. And so if you get a, a career position, you can always try to get a detailee to a political position uh, temporarily. So um, again, no downside to doing both. Um, and someone just asked me about the detail process, so I'm hoping I actually answered that question there. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, since this process is going to be so long for lower level appointees, should we apply to normal federal jobs and agencies? Yeah, uh, again, um, this is another question from, from uh, that's similar to the one um, we just answered. There's no downside to applying. It is going to take a long time for uh, positions to be uh, uh, handed out or not handed out, um, awarded to people. So yeah, again, applying for positions at 
in the federal government through the career service is definitely a good approach because it doesn't, it only opens doors, it doesn't close doors to you. So definitely keep that in mind and definitely look at that as, a, as an opportunity. Uh, again, uh, getting back to the detail question, when you are detailed, your, your agency and the agency or White House where you're going and being appointed to, it's usually a six month term uh, and your agency has to agree with it. And obviously um, where you wanna go has to agree to it. So let's say you're trying to go to a white uh, national security council or let's say you're trying to go to, let's switch, uh, let's say you want to go to the Council on Environmental Quality, which is based in the executive office of the president, and you're at um, Interior, the, uh, you've obviously got to find, you make contact with the Council for Environmental Quality, uh, see if there's positions open. And once you get their interest, then you've got to get interest from your department um, to send you over. So it's, it's really a two-step process along those along those lines so um uh are any schedule c appointees hired at the beginning of administration or does it always take several months but sure there are definitely some schedule c appointees that are hired at the beginning of administration um all this all the schedule c appointees are not hired at the beginning of the administration it does take a while so um but Again, that's why you should apply now. So you see if you can get the jobs that are available now and get the jobs, if not now, the jobs that are gonna come later. Uh, then we have a question on what roles you recommend for, or agencies for people either in law school or thinking about law school. Um, you know, that's lawyer, there are lawyers in every agency. So that really just depends on what the individual's interest is uh, not uh, uh, there isn't, you know, if you're interested in banking, then there's legal jobs and banking regulatory agencies. If you're interested in international affairs, there's plenty of legal jobs, you know, in those agencies or environmental. Environmental has lots of lawyers and in, in the myriad of agencies in, in uh, that do environmental policy. So, um, uh, you know, that's... Uh, it, that really depends on, on the individual's interest. Uh, we have um, another question about how do you uh, identify people in a position who could help you? Well, um, read the newspaper, see who's getting appointed to positions. Yes, look at LinkedIn, uh, look at the transition websites, uh, look at uh, eventually they'll publish at agencies um, uh, directories of people who are in positions uh, that might be able to hire you. Um, ask your fellow students, ask some of your professors if, you, if they know somebody that you are trying to reach out to. Um, uh, you know, you never know. Um, so, and then uh, <clears throat> how do you recommend going about identifying people? Um, is it better to cold call or email? Well, uh, those are both hard ways to, to go and, and there's not really one or better or the other. But I'll give you a hint that I said I say to my students sometimes, which is uh, in the public management program, and Jerry could speak to this in his program, which is we have a capstone project at the end of our program. And I often tell students who are working on our capstone, you know, reach out to somebody who you want to develop a relationship because of your career interests and ask if you can interview them for your paper. Um, 
because it's a lot less threatening to them than reaching out to them saying like, hey, I'd like to come work for you, right? Uh, and it gives you a way to, it's more likely that they'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you 15 minutes on the phone or on Zoom or, you know, who knows what the post-COVID world is going to look like, you know. Um, but uh, I think that's a better way to approach someone. And then you've then established a relationship and, you know, at some point you can then reach out to them. So I would, um, I would try that a little bit. Uh, I mean, obviously it, your paper has to actually be relevant to, to them, right? Don't just say to somebody who's working for um, EPA that you want to talk to them and you're doing a paper on, um, uh, you know, national security issues, uh, I don't know, that uh, regarding the latest, you know, uh, bomber development program, right? So, um, but because they'll spot that you're this there, you know, <laughs> trying to get a job. But if your paper is in, in the topic area you want to work in and you can and you want to reach out to somebody, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I don't know, Jerry, do you guys, do you have a, you have a capstone or thesis sometimes, right? Or a project, right? We do. I think the only other, I, I think you answer, answered it quite, quite well, but the only thing that I might add is it is sometimes hard to find these connections, but uh, even going through the names of the uh, uh, transition team that's on the Build Back Better website, uh, there are people who have been adjunct faculty uh, in the environmental programs on there and probably other programs I don't know about. So if you dig there, you might recognize a name, you might know a student who took a class from that person, Any anything to get a little extra in, I think would be helpful. Paul, I did want to ask you a, a question that that, uh, that I've gotten via email. Um, what, um, are, are there, is there any uh, credence to reaching out to um, local legislators, uh, your, your local senators and Congress people, if you know them to try to get an end to the administration? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that can be very helpful, particularly if you can get a, a general letter from them, or or if you know, if you know who you want to reach out to and see if they'd be willing to email a letter, uh, an email or a letter for you. It's it's a great way to get an entryway, and it does raise a flag inside um, administrations. They do not want to be dismissive of of uh, off the cuff of uh, anyone who's a legislator. Particularly, obviously, if it's a senator or congressperson, um, but governor, even a state legislator, uh, it's they're going to be concerned about it. Um, you can also ask them to send the letter to the. Uh, for example, if it's a if it's a congressman or congresswoman, you could have them send uh, the letter to uh, not only to the person that you're trying to reach, but also to the legislative affairs office in that that agency. And, and same for like if it's a governor having them send a note to the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs at these agencies, as well as the person you're running to, is is really uh, it's helpful. It's, it's not a guarantee you'll get anything, but it, it's just one more thing, and it's and it means that they're flagged your resume, so they're actually aware of it. Um, someone's also asking me about age diversity, because I mentioned diversity. Um, I hope so. Because uh, uh, this person's asking about you know being fifty five and yeah that's about where I am so um, and I know Jerry's even older no Jerry just kidding Jerry <laughs> but um, I hope they consider age as an issue I I don't, I don't know how they're they're doing that they certainly uh, well I mean they they know what your age is so um, 
uh, and I hope to consider age diversity, both young and old uh, and middle um, and everything else. But um, but I would suspect that, yes, they would be looking at that as as well. So um, you know, we have a few more minutes. Let me see if I don't know uh, if we've I bounced around here a little bit on these questions. I apologize. Um, uh, um, and someone's asking about career diversity along with age diversity. And I would say that, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this, that when I hired people uh, for positions at the Domestic Policy Council and later in the vice president's office, uh, when I was head of uh, policy planning for Vice President Corps, uh, you know, I looked for people with all kinds of different backgrounds sometimes because there were different policy areas that were having to be covered. Sometimes, you know, and so in, in the case of the Domestic Policy Council and Vice President's Office, I'd look for an environmental person. I'd look for uh, uh, someone who worked in the business sector who might help us with business regulation or banking. Uh, so I think the diversity, career diversity, is partly driven by uh, where your expertise is. Now, if the question is a little bit more like I've worked, you know, I've worked in, um, I've worked at uh, in the retail sector for 20 years. Does that mean they're going to give me, are, are they looking to hire people from the retail sector? I, you know. Uh, it, it, only if there's somehow a connection to the policy question in in that. And so um, if for some reason they're doing a major thing on retail and that person somehow who worked in the retail sector also happens to have some policy chops, then maybe that's a possibility. But I, but I don't think it's, it's diversity for, it's not just career diversity for diversity's sake. It's, it's, you know, um, it's to match up. I mean, this is actually true with any diversity question. It's, it's to match up with the, you know, the needs and what that person brings. So, I mean, I certainly don't think anyone should shy away if they have sort of a unique career background. I don't know that it's going to make you more or less marketable necessarily. So. But, but it, I, I think it, I think you raise a good point that really could play to someone's strength. For example, one of the questions on the Build Back Better website deals with, are you a first generation college student, for example? So if I put in there, I'm the first one to graduate high school and I'm from rural Appalachia, then perhaps there might be a position in, in you know, some of their sustainability efforts in those uh, Appalachian areas, just trying to play to a strength perhaps. Yeah, I definitely think that's a really good point. And, and uh, um, then we have another person, do you need to be in the DC, uh, VA, Maryland area, or will things be more distributed due to co I, uh, you know, th that's a good question. I know that right now, obviously there are people who are willing, there are a lot of people in the transition who are not here in DC, um, who are interacting just like we are right now. And, but the expectation is that they will move to this area. Um, I think it will be that if you are applying for a position that's based in DC, you should, you're going to have to plan to move down here eventually. Um, there might be a transition period, but, um, but, but the long term, I, I think, and maybe this will change somehow because I can't foresee the future, but, um, 
you know, but certainly um, I think you have to move here. And then the second question along those lines are, are there any jobs for someone living outside of the DC area? The answer is yes. Um, they're usually more in the career spectrum of positions. You know, uh, EPA has all kinds of regional offices and um, uh, so does HUD and so does transportation and others. Uh, so there are definitely jobs in other areas outside of D.C. Political positions, not, not as much. There are some. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of positions overseas, and you have to, you know, um, if you're lucky enough to go work for, uh, you know, I had someone who, a friend of mine years ago, got a political appointment as um, oh the public liaison for the ambassador to Malta, and so she moved to Malta, right? You know, but. Um, there's not a ton of political positions uh, across, spread across. I mean, the government, senior, most of the senior pieces of government are, are based here. There, there are some exceptions. I mean, as I said, but um, uh, but most of them are, are based here in DC. And I, I know we're coming up to 1227 here. Um, and we only have a two, a two or three more minutes. Um, and so let me answer this last question. Do you have any advice for people looking for jobs in administration that are or were registered lobbyists? Is there anything in the past? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I mean, so I will tell you that I um, I'm all for the bans on on lobbying after you go work in administration. I've never been a ban. I've never been in favor of these bans for people what people do before, um, because I think as we were talking about career diversity, you know, there are lots of talented people who do things before and what someone, you know, as long as they're doing something legal, I don't really understand why you shouldn't let them come work. Uh, having said that, yes, it's been increasingly, um, you know, the Obama administration was very strict about this. Uh, um, the way the Obama administration did this was if you were registered, I think within a year, or two before uh, you wanted to come in the administration, you 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 could uh, you couldn't come in unless there was some kind of waiver. Uh, I believe that's how it was. Um, so Steve Rochetti, who is counselor to the vice president, I believe that's his title in the White House, uh, is a former registered lobbyist. So it's not like you can't get it, um, but it does seem like there is a um, there is a challenge for lobbyists. I think if you are my, my general or former lobbyist, and again, I, I don't really understand necessarily why, if you're a former lobbyist, why why that should be um, necessarily held against you. I think if you're, it partly depends on whether your views align with the views of the, the new administration. That would seem to me to be the most important thing. I can certainly see why some people might say like, well, I don't want someone who lobbied for, um, for this or that to come in and, and regulate. Um, uh, I get that. They don't hire them, but maybe you would hire somebody who, you know, was trying to uh, improve the environment, who was a lobbyist for somebody, you know. Um, I don't know. And there is also an argument. I, I remember when we, when I worked on campaign finance reform, one of the former um, people who was at that time, a vice president's chief of staff was had been a had been a lobbyist, and 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 he was incredibly helpful in identifying what the laws needed to be changed to close a lot of the lobby loopholes. So I mean, you know, um, 
I think you've you got to vet these people, but I don't think just throwing them out under the bus is is necessarily very fair. But uh, having said that, um, the administration, you know, I'm guessing is going to be you know somewhat tight, maybe not as tight as the Obama administration was, but not as loose as say the 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 Trump administration has been. And um, so um, I'll guess that, uh, you know, your best shot is is to obviously be open about it, to, to deregister. Hopefully you're not registered now. And um, if you can find somebody who your interests align with, then hopefully you'll be okay. So, and with that, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> and I'll say thank you for, and I know we're starting to lose some folks here, uh, but, um, uh, say I'll say thank you and, and and thanks for listening and hopefully we we helped a little bit. Um, Jerry, I don't know if you want to to add in. No, I think uh, I think you've done a great job explaining all of the uh, intricacies and I think uh, Mr. Weinstein, one of the one of the things I got from your presentation was being persistent, dogged, and playing that long game. So um, I think that's what we one of the things we need to focus on. Thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Center for Advanced Governmental Studies at Johns Hopkins University. To learn more about our center, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.